First Peter chapter 2, verse 13. I'm Pastor Michael. If you happen to be visiting, uh, welcome to any guests who are here today. We're, we're just teaching the Bible one book at a time, uh, so that's just the way we do it around here. I always encourage you to bring your Bibles. I'm using the New King James Version at the moment, <clears throat> and uh, trusting God to use this. My personal goal today is that I will be about practicing kindness even in the midst of the unjust and in the midst of injustice. These refugees are fleeing ISIS, and it's largely about persecution of the church of Jesus Christ. And that's why I'm telling you, we are in tribulation, my friends. Like it or not, we are here, and events will begin unfolding with greater intensity and frequency. You just watch. Pay attention. Something's happening. All right, I'm going to start our text, and that's not what our text is about today. (laughs) That's all freebies, okay? Yeah, Uh, I'm going to start with verse 13, 1 Timothy chapter 2. If you ever need Bibles, there are always Bibles on your way in. Any Bible that you find around here, uh, you know, they're there for you to use while you are here. But they are also here to use um, uh, <clears throat> for you to take with you. They're, they're here to give away. Uh, if you'll excuse me a minute, I can tell. Yesterday at 3 o'clock, <clears throat> I got hit with shivers and, and a sore throat, running nose. <clears throat> Felt weak. My eyes were red. And it's totally gone today. Yeah, it was, it was about one hour. You can tell Valerie, my wife, is gone. And uh, so it was uh, sympathy for myself <laughs> that I suddenly was taken ill. She's with my daughter Chloe in a 98 Subaru Impreza driving to Savannah, Georgia, where Chloe will go to school at the Savannah School of Art and Designs. Yeah, that car is a little go-kart. It's four wheels on a piece of plywood. They texted me yesterday and wanted to know what to do when the engine light comes on. And I said, call AAA. They called AAA. AAA said, nothing we can do (laughs) unless you're stuck. So they pulled into a uh, parts store. They did a quick diagnostic and said, Go with the engine light on. You'll be fine. There's only two problems, but keep on going. (laughs) So I'm praying like crazy. But I I always hate it when Valerie's gone. I want to go with her everywhere she goes. Because here we are 30 years later, and she's a gift from God. Verse 13, therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. Notice these ordinances are talking about people in positions of authority. So it starts off, whether that be to the king as supreme or to governors, as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. As free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bond servants of God. Notice that word bond servants. That's the first time we see the word servant here in our passage. Unique word bond servant. It's the Greek word doulos. Okay? There's another word for servant coming up here. Verse 17, awesome statement. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, 
Fear God, honor the king. Then verse 18, servants. Notice it's not bond servants, it's servants. It's a totally different word. It's the word oiketas. If you know a little bit about Greek, you might have heard, good chance you heard the word oikos, which means household, okay, and, and then added to tas, slave. So this is a household servant that we're seeing here, different from doulos. Be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh, to your harsh slave holders. For this is commendable. If because of conscience toward God, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully, evidently here, uh, some, some slaves have been being, uh, uh, um, oh, punished, treated harshly by their masters simply because of their newfound faith in Jesus Christ. And so that's what he's talking about. Verse 20, for what credit is it if when you are beaten for your faults, you deserve it, you take it patiently. But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. Now talking about Jesus, pointing to Isaiah, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed, for you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Praise God for his word. Let me just say here, I hate injustice. I hate injustice particularly when I'm the one directly being affected by injustice. <laughs> yeah. But I would imagine that most of the stuff that, that you and I call injustice is petty compared to the atrocities that go on in this fallen world. We may catch the brunt of a raw deal. Someone may take advantage of us. Someone may spread rumors, stories, false things about us. It's all trivial, particularly when you look at what's happening over in Europe and Jordan right now with all these fleeing refugees in just trivial stuff we deal with. You know, Valerie grew up in a farm in the middle of nowhere, Kansas. <laughs> Yeah, I, I like to tell the story of the day when I was watching TV and a commercial came on and we're panning down a road in a prairie and it said, the loneliest road in America is Highway 50 in western Kansas. But when you need cash, Visa's there for you. <laughs> Yeah, because Highway 50 is the road to Valerie's house where she grew up. Yeah. And, and even though it's no longer an option to go there, I like going to the farm. Uh, you know, it's quiet out there. Not a whole lot to do out there. Lots of tools and tractors and machines and things out there. I can let down at the farm. In fact, I think for the first seven years of our marriage, every time we went to the farm, I got sick because I was so driven in ministry that I would let down and I'd get impacted by it. 
But one of the things we always liked to do on the farm was to sit around at the table, particularly after meals, and play card games, uh, board games, stuff like this. Slow, boring games. I, I think the reason for that was because it was more about the competition, more about the conversation than it was about the competition. Okay? Yeah. But here I am. I, I'm a guy, I, I, I always like to win. Doesn't work too well on the farm. One of the games that we like to play is, is a card game called Phase 10. Phase 10 is simply a game in which to win. You have to collect 10 different sets of cards over the course of a number of hands, but you can't do it in less than 10 hands. So the first one to get all 10 of these sets wins the game. But there's one card in the game that's really awkward. It's the dreaded skip card. Yeah, uh, it, it's the, 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 the card that when you play it, you have to choose someone that you're going to skip. And everyone on the farm is nice. They're not like the Italians that I grew up with. <laughs> I mean, on the farm, the motto is uh, love your neighbor as yourself. It's all about kindness, right? Yeah, in the Discoli household, it's about do unto others. Yeah, forget the rest of that, Stephen. So uh, on the farm, no one wants to skip anybody, but if you get stuck with that skip card, at the end of the game, you're going to be taxed with a 15-point penalty. So as someone is playing a skip card on the farm, it would be common to hear something like, oh, I'm so sorry. I, I wish I didn't have to do this. I wish I could skip myself. I don't know how many times I heard, I wish I could skip myself. Now, I don't know if you realize it or not, but Michael Descoli has an unwritten Bible. And in that Bible, you will find a section called The Ethics of Table Games. <laughs> and, and in that book, there's a, a rule regarding the skip card that goes like this. When thou playest thine skip card, thou shalt play it in such a manner as to slow the opponent who is advancing the fastest. To play a skip card on the person who is lagging behind is immoral. It's unjust. It's unethical. It just isn't right. It's downright inconsiderate. Yeah. So here we are. We're early in our marriage. And Valerie was so convinced that my love held no bounds that I would lay my life down for her. And I think I might have made that promise to her, but I hadn't counted it in all facets of life, particularly when it comes to playing board games. So this one night... She starts playing skip cards on me. I'm way behind. She starts playing skip cards on me. In, in her mind, we're married. We're one flesh. Skipping me was the greatest act of kindness because to skip me was to skip herself. In my mind, she might as well have been putting cement shoes on my feet and throwing me into a lake. And so I was bad. In a moment of flesh, I blurted out, that's unethical, right? And you might have thought it was the funniest thing the Jones family had ever heard on the farm. And I tried to explain to them my 
thoughts on the ethics of table games, but the more I talked, the funnier it became to them. They weren't buying it. (laughs) And it stuck with me the rest of the time Valerie's dad was on earth because if at any point there would ever be any question, you could be sure Paul would look at me, he'd laugh, (laughs) and he'd say, it's unethical. (laughs) Right, Mike? Yeah. (laughs) Well, in today's text, there are two major areas of injustices in our fallen world. One has to do with how we respond to those who are put in positions of political influence that make decisions that can have dire effects on our lives. The second has to do with how we respond to those who have somehow given control and power over our lives. In this case, it has to do with slavery. So when someone oppresses us or harms us or someone we love, when someone slanders our reputation or spreads rumors about us or threatens our livelihood or our security, when an authority or authorities make decisions that we feel are corrupt or wrong or are not in the best interest of the future of our people, our natural tendency is for the hairs on the back of our necks to begin to rise, for us to get tingly and upset and to want to defend ourselves. In fact, we may respond in one of four ways. One, seek revenge. Two, run away. Three, become absorbed in self-pity. Or four, pack it down, trying to convince ourselves and everyone else that it's okay when it isn't. Friends, those are natural knee-jerk reactions. And what we find today is supernatural responses that God wants to equip us to walk in as we do life in this unjust world. So what Peter gives us today is going to outweigh any petty protests and strip us of our rights to default toward any of these things, toward aggression, toward self-pity, or to denial. So the first is in verses 13 through 17, where we're called to submit to those in positions of authority. It's important, as we look at this, that we keep in mind he's writing to those who are being negatively affected by people in public office. He's writing at a time when Nero Caesar was horribly and publicly persecuting the church and doing it in the name of entertainment. In fact, that Roman Colosseum that is so cool to go and see is a reminder of what has happened to Christians over the centuries. That was a place of destruction of the church and doing it to make everybody else feel good. Yet what does Peter call them to do here in verse 13? He calls them to submit to those who are in public positions over them, and then he gives these reasons why. Look at verse 13. He says, do it for the Lord's sake, right? Look at verse 14. He says, generally speaking, societies are better off with poor leaders than no leaders at all, because generally speaking, even a poor leader will reward those who do right and punish those who do wrong. The first part of verse 15, he says it's God's will that we submit. In fact, if you go over to Romans, you'll find God appoints leaders over us, and we should pray for them. The second part of verse 15, our obedience 
to civil leaders will ultimately silence those who don't like us because of our faith and even influence some to Christ. I mean, think about it in the scriptures. The Apostle Paul was present and giving uh, his privilege to, giving his uh, permission to the stoning of Stephen. Paul went on to become one of the greatest leaders in the church. Daniel, man, injustice. His brothers threw him into a pit, sold him into slavery, and God used it all for a greater good. Daniel, Daniel taken captive by the Babylonians, right? And yet God put him in position where he could influence kings and kingdoms and write prophecies that are coming true even as we begin to speak. God will use our God-empowered actions to make a difference in even the harshest and cruelest and meanest, meanest of people. I think it's important that we notice that we are to do this as free men who by an act of our wills have become, and here's that word, bondservants of the Lord. Okay, now what's a bondservant? A doulos. It's actually a compound word, do, which is a dual agreement, loss speaking about a slave. In God's law, if a person was ever taken into slavery, the duration of that term of slavery could only last a maximum of seven years. Okay, In the seventh year of the sabbatical year, which we're coming to an end of here, uh, and we're concerned of what's going to happen because 2001, largest stock crash in world history. 2008, oh, surpassed 2001, largest stock crash in world history. Now here we come to September 23rd. I think that's the right date. Falls on a Sunday, so stock won't crash that day. But what will happen around that date kind of thing? So slave owners did not want to buy a slave in the seventh year because you'd come to the end of the sabbatical year. It wouldn't be a good investment. You would have to let those slaves go. But a doulos is a slave that's in agreement, okay? Because there were those slaves. Obviously, slavery was common in this day. And, and there were those slaves who so loved their owners that when the sabbatical year came to an end, they say, I love working for you. You're family to me. Can I stay with you forever? And so then the Bible made room for the owner to take that slave, position him against the doorframe of the house with his ear against the doorframe. He would then take an owl and puncture the earlobe of that slave, indicating that he would now serve in that family for life by choice and not by force. Okay, so the comparison, these two words, oikotos, household servant, oftentimes taken into families as being part of the family, and then do loss worse, a slave says, I want to move beyond that. I want to enter into agreement with you. I love you so much. I give up my right to freedom. I will serve you the rest of my days. Well, likewise, you and I are servants of the Most High God, okay, partly because we are in his household, we're oikotos, but as believers, we've come to this place where we said, Lord, I want to serve in your house forever. I've entered in this agreement with you. I enter into this agreement 
with you this covenant, and, we're gonna, and there's an opportunity to learn about the covenant in this class coming up that Melinda is going to be teaching. But I enter into this agreement, this covenant with you, because I love you. I desire to serve you all the days of my existence. And then we discover an amazing thing. And it's so mind-boggling because in God's kingdom, everybody serves. It's unbelievable. In fact, God serves us first. Even Jesus said at at that moment of communion, and and I'm almost forgetting about communion, but I'm going to trust that it's God's will. We're going to take communion at the end today. Yeah, because it's all here. Thank you, Lisa, for faithfully laying this out. Just excited about getting in the word, and and so I, I moved on. But at, at communion, disciples fighting over who's going to be first and greatest. And, and, and Jesus said, the one who serves is greater than the one being served. But he says to them, but I serve you and I lay my life down for you. God serves us first. So in the kingdom of God, servanthood isn't about domination or oppression it's just the way it works it's like the kindness on the farm everybody serving everybody and part of that service as we see in verse 17 is a call to subject ourselves to those in leadership honor all people love the brotherhood fear God honor the king So now here we are in a day when we see ISIS marching and advancing. We know the history of Adolf Hitler. We know what Idi Amin recently did in Africa. What do we do there? Friends, these are people who stand in direct opposition and in the face of God, and we must do everything in our power to stand against them, even if it means suffering for our stand. This is evil at work, right? We have to be willing to suffer consequences for standing against evil. In fact, this is what's happening in Peter's day. Because largely, the church, the church is failing to bow down to Caesar. Whether that be Caesar Nero or another Caesar, the Caesars were considered deity, and they were refusing to bow down and worship them. They were, they were refusing to participate in pagan rituals, and they were suffering for that. And so Peter's calling us to freedom, but in that, he says, don't abuse your freedom, right? Even if you suffer at the hands of of leaders, if you suffer at the hands of those over you because you deserve it, that's on you. But if you're suffering because you're representing the kingdom of God and doing good, then realize God's paying attention. He will make that right. So clearly, when we submit... uh, when, knowing when to submit, knowing when not to submit, calls us to, uh, to, to, to great dependence upon the Lord God, to great uh, humility. It calls us to pray for wisdom. It calls us to pray, to be careful, to be prayerful. In fact, that's why I love James 1.5 so much, because it says, if in the madness of this world, if trying to live as a believer, you begin suffering for your faith and you don't know what to do, if in the middle of changing times and some of the things that may unfold in the next year, if you don't know what to do, ask God and he'll tell you and he'll do it liberally. He will not find fault with you for asking. I hate injustice. 
not just when it affects me personally, like I stated at the beginning. I hate injustice because injustice is everything God isn't. Injustice is humankind at our worst as everybody is groping at everything they can get to satisfy their own flesh and often doing it at the expense of other people. Oh my goodness, we are so blessed to live in this country of freedom. But what amazes me is when a man will say, I'm going to give most of what I have to help those refugees. I'm giving $700 million. Wow. Yeah. So, verse 18, Paul, Peter shifts from talking about submission to political leaders, talking about Slavery, and, and we need to know that at first glance this might seem offensive to us. Uh, recent events such as those like uh, unfolded recently at Ferguson, Missouri remind us that the scars run deep of, of abuses of institutions such as slavery. Um, certainly what's happening in our world today in the business of human trafficking, sex trafficking, these are evil things and we must stand against these things. So let's be clear what you are seeing here is in no way me advocating slavery. Okay, but the truth is, the way slavery looked at the first century when this was being written is far different than, than what we've seen in recent times because in Peter's day, individuals may have been sold, in slavery, sold into slavery even voluntarily in order to pay off a debt. It was better than going to jail. All right, it was an option, and it only lasted a maximum of seven years. It may have been because a nation lost a war, and there was a choice. Either you die or you become servants. It was better than death. But what it wasn't about, it wasn't about exploitation of human beings. It wasn't about one human being taking control of another human being simply because they could or simply because it would advance another person's position in life. And by the way, the scriptures call us to be actively about setting slaves free. Okay, I've already mentioned maximum duration, seven years. 1 Corinthians 7, Paul encourages slaves there to, to grasp their freedom legitimately if they could, but if they couldn't, to remember they are free men in Jesus Christ. That the letter of Philemon was written to a slave owner by the name of the book because Paul was asking him to set a slave free by the name of Onesimus, who was of great service to Paul in the advancement of the gospel. Okay, so the scriptures call us to be actively about setting slaves free. However, Peter is writing here to those slaves who are assuming that because of their newfound faith that they are entitled to freedom even if their slave owners didn't understand where they were coming from. And this causes all kinds of problems. So Peter is telling them, honor God by honoring your master. It's the right thing to do. As they say, okay, how do we apply this to our lives? Good, I'm glad you asked. Well, it works in the workplace. We all have bosses. We all have those who are over us. 
It honors God when we give an honest day's work. It honors God when we don't help ourselves to things that uh, we think we're entitled to and privileged to. It honors God when we don't, uh, you know, just be about protesting things that we think we deserve that we're not getting, but instead we work with all our hearts. I think it's also important to realize there's a huge distinction between what it means to be a slave and what it means to be an employee. You can leave your job anytime you want to. A slave couldn't, so let's not uh, trivialize this by any means. Others have used these kind of verses uh, to promote communism and, and socialism. They're, they're calling for economic equality for all. They want ever-expanding governments to manage human responsibility. But in God's economy, God wants to change human hearts, not create failing government systems. Yeah. Remember this. Wherever the gospel of Jesus Christ has penetrated the hearts of the people on a wide-scale level, those societies have experienced widespread eradication of poverty, slavery, prejudice, oppression, and injustice. God is in the business of changing human hearts. But all of us, every one of us, whether slaves or not, we all report to somebody. We're all accountable to somebody. And Peter is saying, submit to those who are over us, even if they're rough, even if they're unreasonable, because God takes notice and he will bless you. I, I love the way Colossians puts it. And I'm always amazed when I open Colossians to a class and, and come to this verse that people seem to grasp this verse and are convicted because it says, do whatever you do, even as slaves, do it with all your heart as if you're doing it for God and not for man. There's an attitude for life. Yeah, some of us here may be suffering injustice and truth is we deserve it. We deserve what we're getting. It's not unjust. It feels like injustice, but we're not doing our part. But if you're being about the things of Christ and you're being faithful, doing the right things, and you suffer, be encouraged. God is taking notice. In fact, from there, he points to, to, to Jesus Christ. Quoting from Isaiah 53, he makes statements like these. Consider this. Jesus never did anything wrong. Jesus never committed a sin. Jesus never told a lie. Jesus never retaliated, even when insulted. He never threatened revenge. Instead, he left his case in the hands of his father, who always judges rightly. And then he took his sin, our sins, excuse me, upon himself, and he carried them to the grave. No fair. It's unethical. But he gladly allowed it for you and for me. When we suffer at, at the hands of oppressive leaders, we are participating in the ministry of Jesus Christ for the sake of those who don't yet know him. When we suffer, at the hands of those who are difficult and harsh. We may be suffering at the hands of 
Yet remember, in behalf of others who need to see the gospel being lived out in real and radical ways. But none of us has suffered the way Jesus had suffered. The only perfect man who ever lived was misunderstood by his listeners, maligned by his enemies, forsaken by his own family, betrayed by his friends, abandoned by his closest followers, tortured by law enforcers, and executed by politicians. The only one in history who ever had the right to lodge a complaint was the one who remained silent. And the one who could have called 10,000 angels to come to his aid put himself at the mercy of messed up people like you and me. And he did it for those very people. He lived the life we couldn't live so he could die the death that we should have died in order to give us life. So when he calls us to submit, even to those who may be wrong or harsh, he isn't calling us to do anything that he hasn't already done. We're just being followers of Jesus. We're being disciples. We're being like him. Yeah. Are you following Jesus? How do you handle injustice? Are you like me? Get all upset in the middle of a card game. Shout, it's unethical. Right? What good is that, huh? Consider your responses. Do you want to strike back? Do you want to get even? Do you pack it down? You know, that might give us a temporary sense of relief. Long-term effects doesn't really impact anybody. But on the other hand, God empowering us to be kind even in the midst of difficulty, wins, souls, changes, lives. It's bigger than you. It's the power of God at work in your life. Yeah, I don't know what's coming, but all these things are here to prepare us. Next week, we're going to talk about relationships and Accepting the reality that all of us need grace in relationships. I hope you'll be here. But right now...